if pay growth rises strongly, which it is, and inflation is, will that cancel each other out? And that's where house prices could inflate again. Good afternoon, welcome to the market wrap for APW, ending week ending 15th of April 2022. Stuart Williamson here at the helm. Why are we doing this? Just to disseminate information to our clients, our potential clients, common sense information that you might like to take on board when thinking about buying property. What do we do? We're buyers agents. So we go out and speak to clients and say, excuse me, give me your shopping list. What would you like to get? When, why, what's it gonna do? And then we go out and try and achieve that for them. We're gonna talk about average house prices today, what you can get around the country for the average price, 245. But before that, what can 175 years of data tell us about the UK housing market? And is there like to be a crash? I get asked this question a lot of the time. Look at some of the comments in the bottom. I don't know the answer to that, but this research piece from Schroeder's is excellent. And so I thought I'd share it with you and it might give you some ideas of what is going on. Then went into the Bank of England's Millennium of Data Resource Centre, which I go into, it's fantastic. Amazing facts and figures if you're a, a history nerd. And they, they analysed the history of house prices and they found that the average house in the UK currently costs more than eight times average earnings, okay? based on data as of the 31st of December 2020. Before the current COVID affected period, this eight times earnings level has only been breached twice previously in the past 120 years. Once just prior to the start of financial crisis, 2007, 2008, and once around the start of the 20th century. And that's illustrated by this chart we have here. Now, you know, as you see from my books, I love my history. It's interesting to note that house prices were even more expensive in the latter half of the 19th century than they are now. Then they basically went into a multi-decade downtrend relative to earnings and it only really bottomed out in 1918, post-1918. And there are three important drivers for this, which we need to take into the future to look at what's going on now. And those three drivers were more houses were built, smaller houses were built, and rise incomes were rising so we talk more houses there was more than doubling of the stock of housing in england and wales and scotland between 1851 and 1911 excuse me it rose from 3.8 million to 8.9 million houses and compared to today it now stands at 28 million so it's a huge growth in the amount of stock secondly smaller houses houses built before 1850 were significantly larger than those built after. Just to give you a bit of a picture, prior to 1850, the average house in England and Wales had a plot size of 913 square metres. The houses built in the following 50 years had a plot size of 268 square metres. And so this reflected both a shift in construction towards smaller types of housing and, I mean, basically from detached to terraced and the downshift in the average size of houses within each category. For example, average plot size pre-1850 terrace was 278 square meters and it fell to 147 for those after. And when I'm from, from Whitby in North Yorkshire, on, on the West Terrace, you've got old 1700, 1800 terraces and they're huge. On the East side of town, you've got the more modern stuff, which are a lot smaller. 
Okay, so you've got more building, you've got smaller sizes, and then finally you've got higher incomes. While average house prices fell by 23%, average house prices fell by 23% between 1845 and 1911, due to the two factors in part, as mentioned above, over the same period, earnings went up by 90%, so 1.1% a year. So was this a good time to be a homeowner in the UK? No, not really. The nation back then was a, a nation of renters. Even in 1918, over three quarters of people rented their homes, which is England and Wales data. I don't have any for Scotland for that. It was not until the second half of the 20th century that this home ownership sort of cult took off and rates of home ownership went up steadily over the intervening decades, peaking at 70% in the early 2000s. You know, a lot of this was promoted by, as we've already talked about, Margaret Thatcher and her um, sale of the council houses, own your own home, all that sort of malarkey. However, as house prices have risen from, from around four times average earnings in the mid-1990s, they're now risen to eight times more recently. And so affordability has de deteriorated dramatically, especially for those people who want to get onto the market, the first-time buyers. This has contributed more to home has contributed to home ownership rates now falling down to 62% over the last five years. Levels not seen since the 1980s, as you can see from this bar graph. If you go back to home building, it ceased entirely, you know, between 1914 and 1918. But after that, it picked up in the 1920s, before the boom took place in the 1930s, 2.7 million homes were built in the 1930s, of which 2 million were built by the private sector alone. Interest rates were stuck at 2% because of the recession, if you remember, the Great Depression. And abundant land and labor all helped that. So you look at the, this graph here for UK housing completions, you can see how huge amounts of properties being built, whereas today it's 150,000 per year. House building also took off after the Second World War, a necessity as large, you know, large parts of the country had been destroyed. But in co contrast to the 1930s, where it was a private sector boom, it was a public sector boom that built in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Okay, at the same time, it was peak time for slum clearances. An average of 67,000 homes a year were demolished or closed between 1955 and 1980. So that's an amazing amount of building and a lot of it was socially driven. Okay, quite amazing. But then post that period, post 1970s, for the past 30 years, it's been back to private sector again. And this graph illustrates that. Okay, so there's a lot of facts and figures there, lots of stuff. What conclusions might we draw if we go back to what happened in the last part of the last century how might affordability improve okay houses have not been more expensive than they are now on a relative to earnings basis for the last 120 years you know look at london and the southeast is absolutely boggling the prices down there as we'll see at the end of the of this as to what you can get for your average house price down in the southeast the last time there was a sustained decline of the house pricings multiple, price, sorry, price earnings multiple, was the second half of the 19th century. 
Your average house prices fell for more than 50 years because of what we covered at the beginning. Building a lot more houses, they were a lot smaller, and at the same time, earnings went up by nearly 100%. So is that gonna be repeated now? And is that how we can get out of the current issue with the cost of houses? You know, mortgage consumers in the UK would not be happy with 50 years of falling house prices, negative equity. And whatever government brought that in, they wouldn't be in for long. You know, that'd be suicide, amount of homeowners around the UK. So we could go to the second point, shift towards smaller houses. Well, houses in the UK are 10% smaller than they were 10 years ago, and they're the smallest that they've been at any point since the 1930s. So you can't really build smaller houses. I mean, you can make little tiny ones, you know, like you know, hobbit houses, build them to the ground. So that leaves us with um, earnings. Now that's a, you know, quite a bright spot because earnings growth has been weak since the financial crisis in the UK. Actually, people are getting poorer every year. But final quarter 2020, they were up 4.7%. The same is true final quarter 2021, up by the same amount again. Look at the chart, it confirms that. And so a period of stronger pay growth may represent the best hope of improving affordability. Okay. As long as you build into that, the caveat that stronger earnings may result in a stronger economy, which could also mean a stronger housing market, so prices go up even further. But there are two big, huge elephants in this very crowded room, okay? And that is inflation. If pay growth rises strongly, which it is, and inflation is, will that cancel each other out? And that's where house prices could inflate again. And then secondly, interest rates. This is, this is some great quotes here. The Bank of England working paper recently published concluded that nearly all of the rise in average house prices relative to incomes between 1985 and 2018 can be seen as a result of sustained, dramatic and consistently unexpected decline in real interest rates as measured by the yield on medium term index linked gilts. Okay, you might have to write that down and Google it, see what it means. The bank doesn't rule out other factors being affecting interest rates, sorry, uh, house price growth, but concludes they have more of a short-term impact, which, okay, I'm no economist, but I think these are, there are factors there that don't agree with that. And what the Bank of England goes on to say, an unexpected and persistent increase in the medium-term real interest rates of one percentage point from its level as at the end of 2018 could ultimately generate a fall in real house prices over a period of many years of just under 20%. So that's interesting. It may, they don't say it is. So depending on whether you're a homeowner or a prospective buyer, you can be either encouraged or, or discouraged by that. You know, they are skeptical as to whether this is going to materialize. And frankly, you know, just because they say house prices are expensive relative to earnings, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to cheapen go down in value. You know, there are many other factors out there. You know, we go on from that to a little bit further. What does it actually tell us? Yes, the housing market is overvalued based on its multiple earnings. Will it correct? It wouldn't appear so from what people like the OBR are saying and um, the other sort of pundits out there. What are the underlying drivers? We'll look at the 
a few other things we do definitely know. Okay, and so I went on to the look at the 2021 census, and it says the population of the UK is projected to increase by 3.2% in the first 10 years of projections, from an estimated 67.1 million in mid-2020 to 69.2 million in mid-2030. England's population is expected to grow more quickly than the other UK nations at 3.5%, compared to 2.6% for Wales, 2% for Northern Ireland, and 0.3% for Scotland. Um, UK population growth over the next 10 years is expected to, draw, to, to be driven by a net 2.2 million people migrating into the country, a net migration. Even with all the other people leaving, even with a lot of expats leaving, Okay, so we know there's going to be 2.2 more million more people, 2.2 million more people out there. We also know they're building 150,000 new homes a year, compared to the 400,000 nearly that is required. That is is the story in my book: a simple supply and demand mismatch. Okay, so finally, average house price, what you can get around the country, and this is really interesting compared to what we just talked about. It's courtesy of Zoopla. And you can find it at um, their website, zoopla.co.uk. And basically, we've got 10 houses. We've got the first one is a six-bed house in Nairn, a three-bed flat in Liverpool, and these are all 245 to £250,000. A two-bed terraced house in Liverpool, a three-bed flat in Leith, which is just outside Edinburgh, a new build in Pocklington in York, lovely place, got a nice school, a one-bed flat in West Cliff-on-Sea in Essex, a one-bed studio flat in Chessington, which is in Surrey, I believe, a three-bed flat in Leeds, you can get a four-bed house in Newtonard in Northern Ireland, and then finally, a three-bed terraced house in Downham Market in Norfolk. There's some great variety, and it's really interesting to see what value for money you can get around the country by just shopping around. And if you're doing a buy-to-let, look at the demographics, Look at where you're going to get 95% occupancy. If you're unsure you need any help, do ask us. Put some requests for contact in the comments below. Do like and appreciate the video if you liked it. If you found it a bit boring because it's a bit dry this week, sorry about that. But do um, subscribe and hopefully I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye bye.